Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad questions that are like kind of kid questions, stuff like, hey, who's your, who's your favorite kid? Is it me or Katie, my sister? All right. So I'm just gonna talk, man. I loved baseball, and so I'd tell dad, like, do you ever think I'd be as good as Nolan Ryan? Because uh, I really wanted to pitch. And um, I never did, because I was never that good. Um, Not too long ago, there was a thing that went on in my life where when I heard God has a plan, it made me angry. I just, I really didn't like it. Ansley and I, my wife, uh, found out we were gonna have a kid. And it's the craziest feeling, right? Me, a man-child, is now gonna have a kid. A little over a year and a half ago, my youngest brother, Austin, went back to college. I remember my parents were a little worried about him. Um, he was just dealing with a lot of stuff in his life at that point in time. As I got older, uh, life got more complex. And when life got more complex, questions naturally get more complex. I remember my dad, he sat me down one day and he said, hey, Jeremy, your mom's an addict and we're not gonna make it. And you and your sister Katie are gonna go live with your grandparents. Shortly after being brought into this world, something happened, we don't know what it was. Uh, there's all these theories, but we, we, we can't specify what it, what it was exactly, but she went into heart and lung failure. We don't, we don't know what to do. How is this something that anybody deals with? You know, your brand new six hour old child is now, is now dying. I got a phone call from my mom in the middle of the night. I can't get a hold of Austin. I don't know where he's at. He's not answering his phone. And we hung up and I tried to go back to sleep. And I laid there for a few hours and I was a little restless. And then I got a phone call from my dad. It was probably 3 a.m. And I picked up the phone and he said, He's dead. Somehow this was all part of God's plan. How is my daughter, my little girl, how is her dying in a bed somehow part of his plan? And I was really confused because I knew God was good and he was like, he loved marriage, and, but I never understood that. And I would ask God like, why would you do that? So we spent 64 days in the ICU. Um, and miraculously, God did something to her body, stitched everything back together, made her heart work the way it was supposed to, made her lungs work the way that they were supposed to. I was really angry, and I was really frustrated, and I was really confused, and I had all these questions for God. And it sent me down a journey of just asking God questions, things I'd never really understood. Like, why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen to my family? How does all of this fit into God's plan? And now I'm older, and I'm married, and I have kids. And now more than ever, I don't want to screw things up. Like, I can't get it wrong. So I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers.
What's up, Movement Church? Welcome to week one of Grown Up Faith. Now, my family and I are out of town, but we are so fired up about this series that I wanted to bring week one to you. And the reason is, we all have questions. And some of those questions are really weighty, just like the stories we just shared with you. These questions often foster doubt and concern, and in a way that feels overwhelming. There are also questions equally as perplexing, but perhaps not quite as weighty such as why is it that planes have flotation devices under passenger seats instead of parachutes? And you know the little indestructible black boxes that planes use? Why can't they make the whole plane out of the same substance? Why isn't phonetic spelled the way it sounds? Why is the word abbreviate so long? And what is another word for thesaurus? Here's another perplexing question. If a cow laughed really hard, would milk come out of her nose? Why is there an expiration date on sour cream? And why do we sing, take me out to the ball game when we're already there? Now these questions have zero relevance to life, but the big questions can tank us. And I know that for us to navigate through each season of life, it requires us to, in some sense, grow up. You see, when you grow up, you get the better things. When you grow up in marriage, you get a better life. When you grow up in leadership and business, you get God's better life. When you grow up in character, you get God's better life. And when you grow through hardship and uncertainty, God, if you'll follow him, will form himself more deeply within you. And that's what this series is all about. For the next six weeks as a church, on Sundays and in connect groups, we're going to explore grown-up faith, pulling a lot of resources from an amazing book called, I know, surprise, Grown-Up Faith by an amazing pastor named Kevin Myers. And I want to encourage you to read along with me in this series. So if you don't own the book yet, you can text the word book to the number on the screen and that'll give you an Amazon link to buy the book and do it right now. There's a growing up process that is intended in faith and it's modeled and talked about all throughout scripture. But in Ephesians 4:14 it says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, doctrine and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, look at this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's a growing up that God's designed for us that we would grow up into Christ. That's his design. He's giving us the imagery of our life like a ship out on the ocean, making sure that our life has a rudder of truth, navigating through the winds of people's opinions and false religions, media, influence, heresy, and teachings that really dismiss and deny the very living and loving God. So be careful in your life because those winds influence you. So make sure you have the rudder of truth to navigate life so that you can grow up into the goodness and the greatness that God has created you for. There is a better and a bigger life. Christ modeled that for us when he showed us what it meant to grow up. And you could summarize it with this picture that integrates the mind, the heart, and the will. The mind is biblical truth so that you and I can have a rudder in the midst of a world trying to influence us. So don't allow the winds of culture to blow you around and influence how you do marriage or family or relationships and finances, character, morality, ethics, value. Don't get caught up in that. Make sure that your mind is rooted in biblical truth and becomes the rudder 
to guide your life. Make sure that your heart is emerged and engaged in spiritual intimacy, which is closeness with who Jesus is. And make sure that your will is following in holy obedience. Where the three of those come together, watch this. We'll give you the next picture. Where they come together is where you grow up. Well, what do you mean by grown-up faith? We mean the coming together of your heart and your mind and your will, and where they come together, you grow up. In fact, in chapter one of the book, Kevin Myers unpacks that, and in this picture right here, it's the process of aligning our mind, our will, and our heart with Jesus. It's challenging to grow up. And we all know it because we all have questions. And in fact, we have 10,000 questions that we're asking in life. And those questions are practical questions. And they're questions about how to do life and to navigate relationships and how to manage career and how to do money and materialism and how do I handle temptation that comes my way. And what's going to be the truth and the practical way that you handle life. But here's the deal. The truth of the matter is those 10,000 questions boil down to just 10 big questions. And these 10 core or 10 foundational questions really form your worldview, how you view the world. And how you answer these 10 define how you answer the 10,000 that we're asking. And the truth is this, we're all asking the same 10 questions, whether you know it or not. God answered these 10 questions in the Bible in order. That's how devoted he is. God's that devoted to us to help us understand his heart and his plan for humanity. And many of us didn't even know that the 10 questions were there, nor do we know that God answered them in the Bible. So we're going to take a look at these 10 questions together. In fact, it's the framework of this entire series. Question number one, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? It's the first question always because how you answer that defines your life. Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? And Why can't God just accept me as I am? And isn't one way to God narrow-minded? What does it mean to actually be forgiven? Why don't Christians look different from everyone else? Who really needs the church? And the last one is, are heaven and hell real? By the way, the first and last question kind of define, like in sports, the starting line and the finish line. Listen, the, the first question, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? And the last question, are heaven and hell real? Those right there set the parameter. You see, listen, if I'm here by accident and it's just circumstance and just the big bang and I wasn't created, I have no soul and there's no heaven or hell, and well, then who cares? <laughs> live life however you want to live it. It doesn't matter. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Who cares? Don't worry about anything. Just live however you want. But if there's a God and he created you on purpose and you have a soul and there's a heaven and a hell, and everything's on the line for eternity. Well, that transforms the way that you think and the way you live and how you answer all the other questions in life. And the good news is God graciously answered all 10 questions in order in the Bible. And by the way, those questions are so critical that those are the titles of the chapter in the book, Grown Up Faith. 
This is real, practical, and hitting on very the, the very substance of life that, that we're so stoked about this series. I, I believe God wants to take you to new places and do new things in and through you, both within and outside the church. And hey, parents, let me help you simplify parenting. In fact, if we help our kids discover these 10 core questions, that right there is the foundation of parenting. Listen, every parent is answering these 10 questions whether they know it or not, either by design or by default. The world's attempting to answer this, and how we answer them defines our life. So God graciously gave us the big picture. He told us what on earth he's doing. And so in the Bible, God gives us the overview, the picture, and I'm going to give it to you. You know, listen, most of us are puzzled by the Bible. For most, the Bible doesn't make sense. If, if I had a 500-piece puzzle, in fact, and gave you just a few pieces and said, hey, put that together for me, it'd be nearly impossible. And that's how many people experience the Bible, Christianity, and faith. They get bits and pieces and stories, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Adam and Eve, that's right. There's the garden, the beginning thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's that guy Moses, and I heard of Moses and the Ten Commandments, and that's a story, I think. And then there's David and Goliath. Yeah, I remember that, the giant and the sling, all about that whole business. And then Jesus, he's kind of a big character, Christmas, kind of popular. And then there's that heaven and hell issue. But nobody's put the story together for you. And I'll admit it, the Bible can be a complex book. It, it's not written in order, and, and you don't read it like a novel. In fact, if I had the 500-piece puzzle and I gave it to you, and gave you all 500 pieces and said, hey, put this together, could you put it together if I didn't give you the box top with the big picture? Even that would be incredibly difficult. Here's why. Listen, the big picture is what makes sense of the smaller pieces, and the same is true in life. What makes sense of daily life from a single life to a dating life to a married life to a family, friendships, business, and finances, ethics and temptation, morals, to funerals, it, things that you just can't make sense of. Those pieces of life, unless you have the big picture, it's the big picture that makes sense of all the little pieces. And today, I want to give you the big picture. If nobody's ever done this for you, I'm going to give you the overview of the Bible from beginning to the end. And it's also in the book, Grown Up Faith. But I'm going to give it to you right here, right now. So if you're familiar with the Bible, you're going to say, why didn't anyone give that to me before? I don't know. But today, we want to help you. So here we go. The Bible is actually one big story. And it's in two halves, the Old and the New Testament. You could call it the Old Contract and the New Contract. And it comes together in what you could call a pyramid or a triangle. There are five major events in the Old Testament and five major events in the New Testament. And those events are mirror images, one of the other. And they come to a peak or a point, an apex, and it all turns on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, once you know the five events and that they're a mirror image and it all turns on Jesus, the Bible starts to make sense. So here we go. The first major event is God and righteous people in paradise. Oh, God created us in his image, first in the Garden of Eden, and it was all good. Good relationships with God, great relationships with each other, no fighting, no arguing, everything was good. Well, then what happened next? The next major event. Satan and sin enter, and sin unplugs us from God, separates us from him. 
It brings diseases. It brings death, sorrow, loss, and all the stuff that we're talking about right off the top of the teaching. And so the next major event, the world is judged and destroyed. This is the moment with Noah where mankind continues to sin and we brought on ourselves death. And so God brings judgment and rescues Noah and his family. In other words, it's a do-over. And we often think, man, if we just had a do-over, everything would be better. Well, we got a do-over, and yet mankind returned to continue in sin. And this leads to our next major event, a one-world government. And this is the last time there was a one-world government. They all spoke the same language. They were building a tower up to God in the heavens, and God confused their language and dispersed them into multiple tribes and sent them back out to increase and multiply and Mankind is just left there with this, and, and we have this problem of separation and sin, and it's not good anymore like it used to be. And the next major event in the Old Testament starts with Genesis 12, and it's the rest of the Old Covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and through Abraham, he was going to raise up a great nation, give them a great land, and through them would come the great Messiah. God's going to resolve this separation with God because of sin. God's going to take care of it for us. God's on a mission to restore us and to redeem us. In the Old Testament, you have the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, God's holy people, and all the prophecy that points to the coming of Jesus. This takes us to Jesus Christ. That's the apex where everything turns. The Old Testament is pointing to it, and now Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus, God in human flesh, God with us. And he lives a life of obedience. He demonstrates grown-up faith, his mind, his heart, his will fully aligned with the living God. And then he voluntarily dies on the cross to cover our sin and debt. And then he raises from the dead to prove that he conquered sin and death, thereby offering us a new covenant. See, now, now we have this mirror image. What was in the Old Testament at the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, God's holy people, we now have through Jesus, having fulfilled the Old Covenant, he wrote a new covenant, a new contract. And that is with the 12 disciples, the church, God's holy people, and the next major event. By the way, if you're at the mall and you look on a map and you say, where am I? They give you a little dot that says, you be here. Well, we are right here in the midst of the new covenant and what's coming? A one world government. It's never happened since the Tower of Babel recorded in Genesis 11, but it's coming again and it's a mirror image. Now, that made no sense when the prophecy was stated, but an antichrist will come and rise up and there will be a unity of language and a unity of economics. And that starts to make sense when you live in a world with technology as the world is getting smaller and smaller. The next major event is the world is judged and destroyed. Peter, one of the apostles, wrote it this way. It was previously by flood at the time of Noah, but next time it will be by fire. The next major event is Satan and sin exit. Now God's going to put an end to Satan. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire and all who follow him and dismiss God and said, God, leave me alone. We'll join him and we'll call it hell. And it ends with God and redeemed people in paradise. God always finishes what he starts because he's an intentional and on-purpose God. 
See, it began in the garden and we had the tree of life and we lost access to it. And now in Revelation, it ends with now the tree of life is available to us. That's just how on purpose God really is. So we could know his story. And we're going to take this series to tell that story, not to debate it, but to share it. This is not an apologetic series. It's an invitation to learn a story. And we'll begin with the first two questions. Is life an accident? Or am I here on purpose? Check out the scripture in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible starts right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It does not explain God. It just recognizes him. It doesn't, he doesn't actually need an explanation. So stay with me. Are we here on accident or on purpose? Well, right here, on purpose, God created life. Write it down. God created life. Put it in your notes. If you're listening, anyone who's listening, say it with me. God created life. One more time, aloud and proud, God created life. That's what he's telling us. God answered the first question for us because he knows that the most important question you're ever going to answer in your life is, am I an accident or am I here on purpose? God created life. We have a beginning. God does not have a beginning. God has always existed, but we have a beginning. And in our beginning, God already existed. Ergo, we're not the center of the story. Listen, you're trying to figure out your origins and you keep starting with yourself. You're in trouble because you, it didn't start with you. We're not the beginning of the story and we're not the center of the story. This is all about God. And what did he do? Well, let's read on. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're here on purpose. That's what God wants us to know. We're not some random accident. And, and listen, by the way, when you answer this question, it influences the 10,000 other questions you have in life. I want you to understand how this question answers and influences and informs so many other questions. Let me just take a moment and illustrate. Considering the topic of identity, you wrestle through it yourself and if the world is by accident and there is no God, then materialism is everything and your accomplishments are your identity. You're only as good as what you do and that makes sense if you're an accident. But if you're created in the image of God, then your identity and your worth is knit to your creator and that's a completely different way to answer life. Consider the value of life. How do we settle our minds on matters like abortion? Is it just a piece of tissue, a flesh, or is it a life created by God, precious and on purpose? Consider the topic of marriage. Is God behind that relationship, the creator of marriage, or do we just redefine it in any way we want? Consider sexual expression. Are we just animals with instincts or sexual preferences and appetites, or are we moral beings in the image of God with greater meaning? Listen, this question, is life an accident or am I here on purpose, is a big question. It's huge, and how you answer it will define your life. God made us, 
God loves us. God values us. Guys, we are critical and central to God. God created angelic beings and they're spirit beings. God created animals and they're material beings. But when God created us, he created something unique in the image of God. Spirits wrapped in a physical body. And listen, I, I know that not everyone believes that. And I know that many of you listening don't believe what I'm saying, but we all in this room, right here in this moment, still live by faith. We all live by faith. If you believe in God, you're a Christian. It took a leap of faith. If you're here and you're an atheist, it takes a leap of faith. But we all live by faith. You see, I'm a believer in God. I, I'm a follower of Christ. And, and when you tell me that I have to believe that there was nothing, and then without the influence of a creator, nothing big banged into something with life. That's not science, my friend. That's faith. So stay in this. Don't, don't tune out. You tell me I have to believe that less complex forms of life unexplainably evolved into higher forms of life and intellect, species evolution. That's faith. I just don't have that much faith. Everybody's got to wrestle this down, and everyone has to figure it out. What are you going to believe? And listen, my job is not to convince you. I'm just simply sharing what I've wrestled with and how I've gotten right here. I love how the author Kevin Myers writes about this specific topic in his book in chapter 2. I want to read an excerpt from that. He says, I own a 2006 Harley-Davidson Heritage Softail Classic, one of the finest motorcycles on the road. Riding is my favorite way to clear my head and reset my soul. And suppose I was to tell you that billions of years ago, the cosmos began to form out of nothingness. Plants and animals were slowly formed through random mutations and natural selection of those best suited to survive. And over time, some species developed intelligence and began to dominate the earth. They developed their own moral code and grew in wisdom and knowledge. And at the same time that amino acids were doing their thing, metals in the earth began to collect and randomly take shapes. Cylinders formed, so did rods and bearings. Some metal took on the properties of structural frames, while others took on the properties of fenders and handlebars. Minerals spontaneously joined together to create pigments and they coincided and, and attached themselves to frames and fenders. Petroleum deposits were heated below the surface of the earth and over the course of a millennia, waxes developed and decals came into existence with random letters forming the words Harley Davidson and behold, the soft tail classic emerged. Now I'm not trying to insult your intelligence by suggesting that a motorcycle could be formed as a result of random events. That's not my intention, but I think you get my point. I can't believe that the formation of a motorcycle, boat, car, or building could be the work of self-directed nature over the course of millions of years, and you probably don't either. Yet many people take it on faith that the universe and animals and human beings, which are infinitely more complex than any motorcycle, were formed randomly in the same manner without the guidance of some kind of intelligence and a universe with entropy, inertia, and expansion where those are the rules I don't think life accidentally organized itself. So I take the shortest leap. Now to each his own. Everyone watching and listening has got to figure out how you're going to wrestle this down. But know this, we all live by faith. 
Everyone does. No matter what you believe, you're a Christian by faith, you're an atheist by faith, and I think while I know science cannot prove the existence of God, it cannot disprove the existence of God. I just think it points to God. In fact, what Sir Isaac Newton, the scientist, said makes more sense to me. The most beautiful system of the sun Planets and comets could only proceed from the counsel and the dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord and God. God is saying to you today, look at me, you are not an accident. Everything started in the garden on purpose. But if everything was so good, why are things bad? I mean, isn't that the question that plagues us the most? Why do bad things happen to good people? Look at the scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. And that's exactly what the culture of our world does. The culture of our world takes the word of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God, and says, What God says is a lie, and my lie is truth. He confuses the whole thing. We read on in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. By the way, many times women say, Where would you men be without us? And the answer... Is the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Anyways, what the scripture is saying is, if you sin, you will surely die. And that's what God said. See, why do bad things happen to good people? Because sin is death. You see, God called something venomous and we called it harmless. God said, this is venomous. And Adam and Eve said, ah, it's harmless. And we do that. We bend God's narrative to fit our opinion and our plan. I mean, take, for instance, this. It's a rubber snake. I mean, it might be hard to make out, but there's nothing harm, harmful about this. It's not venomous. It really is harmless. It can literally do nothing to you because it's harmless. But I wanted to illustrate this point even better and, and make this an interactive video sermon. So we actually rented some snakes. Yes, you can do that. And I have them right here at Laguna Hills High School. And listen, go ahead, guys, bring them out. And hopefully, uh, keep them, try to keep them on the stage. We don't lose them all. Uh, but when I count to three, I want you to let them go and just try to keep them close to or at least on the stage. Are you ready? One, two, three. Uh, okay, obviously. I'm just kidding. We're not going to put snakes on the stage and let them loose. Uh, we're not going to do that to you. I'm afraid somebody probably already ran out of the room. But seriously, I hope you do understand the difference between harmless and venomous. All God was saying is this, with the warning kind of like that of a rattle of a rattlesnake. If you hear that rattle, it's a warning that you should run. If you sin, you will surely die. And so Everything was good in the garden. And then God said something that was venomous. We treated it as harmless. And now, honestly, 
we live in a world of sin and disease and sorrow and loss. My dad died of cancer. So did Megan's. Bad things happen in the midst of good because we, humanity, brought venom into the world. Satan and sin entered. And that's where we'll pick up next week. But just remember the apex of this story, the hope of the world. Before we go, let me just ask you one quick question. Where in your life are you treating sin as harmless? Where in your life are you treating sin as harmless? Perhaps today is about surrendering that to Jesus. In fact, some of you need to begin the journey with Jesus right now. And it's a simple step. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to get rid of your past. But it is a step of surrender to say, you know what, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm surrendering my life to you. And if you're here and you've never begun that journey, let me help you. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you to just simply repeat it after me in the quietness of your own heart or a small whisper. Nobody's going to get out of their seat or isolate you. And if you're here and you need to pray this prayer, make this day a holy day. And maybe you're here and you've been running from God and today's the day to come running back. Why don't you join me in this prayer as well? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? No one looking around the room. Just make this prayer your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me and you've given me purpose. And God, there are things that you said are venomous that I've treated as harmless. Would you forgive me? I need you in my life. And just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.